Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 26 years ago, right around this time, I remember being with my mom in our living room at our house on West Hill Avenue in Beaconsfield, talking about the upcoming time of my exile. I was on my own exodus from Canada to the United States, which was about to happen back in May of 1997. My boss, who was also my engineering supervisor, Mike Van Aird, had just announced that he had accepted a position at Virginia Tech. He was going down there to start their new traffic engineering lab, which meant that our lab, where I and my fellow students were studying at Queen's University, was going away. And there weren't a lot of other labs in Canada to go and study at. Ironically, the only other one was at University of Montreal in French. I looked around for different options for staying in Canada, but nobody was hiring because we had just balanced our budget, which meant there was no money for engineering projects. But I did have three job offers in the United States, one in Utah, one at Virginia Tech, and another in Washington, D.C. And so from 1997 to 2014, I lived in exile in the United States of America. First as a foreign worker, then a student, then a permanent resident, and finally, for the last 15 years or so, as a citizen. When I first moved to Washington, D.C., Nova, Northern Virginia, it became very apparent to me that these were not my people. So I looked for a church, thinking, well, at least in a church, I would find fellow Christians. But going from church to church, I found that these also were not entirely my people. A lot of these churches that I went to were more interested in being American than they were in following Jesus Christ. But I finally did find a theological home. And I made peace with my time of exodus in exile. And I even learned a few things about myself which maybe some of you who have found yourselves living in a foreign country have learned as well. That it is really, really hard to separate yourself from your earthly culture, from your earthly inheritance. It's built into you from birth, and it's really hard to look at it objectively and realize that a lot of the things that you believe and think about are part of something that is going to pass away that has no permanence. And I also learned that if we are going to be Christians in the world, we need to accept that our true culture is a culture of exile. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, Peter says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Now, it's interesting that the root word for exile here in 1 Peter is par oikos, to be beside one's home, not in one's own home, but beside it or alongside it, to be a neighbor, be a visitor, but not to be a citizen or to be at home. We actually get the word parish and parochial from this word, that a parish is a place where you are not quite at home. 
Now, if anybody should have understood being a culture in exile, it should have been the Jewish people of God. After all, once a year, every year, they remembered being in exile as slaves in Egypt at the celebration of the Passover. They remembered what it was like to be 70 years in exile in Iraq, in Babylon, cut off from their temple, cut off from their holy city and the lands that God had promised to Abraham. They remembered all too well the time under the Seleucids, the Greek empire, and now, of course, under the thumb of Rome. But the people of God were called by their prophets, called by God himself, even when they were in the promised land, to be a people in exile, to be a culture set apart, that they might draw people to the one true God who created all peoples and the heavens and the earth. Their culture, which was given to them by God through Moses at Sinai, was to set them apart from all earthly cultures to demonstrate to the world how God's people live amongst each other and to draw all people to be part of that life together with the one true God. But over time, the culture that was supposed to set them apart became really their home culture. It became a thing in and of itself. There was the lamb at Passover and the bitter herbs and the Hanukkah lights. There was synagogue worship and circumcision, and all of it became not an exile culture, but home. I dated young woman who considered herself and her whole family considered themselves agnostic Jews. And I said, well, how exactly do you celebrate the Passover? She said, we just skip over all the God bits. You can see how they lost the salt that God wanted them to have amongst themselves. It had become too comfortable and they had clung to it as a perishable inheritance and forgot what it was all supposed to be about. Peter, as with all of the Jewish followers of Jesus Christ, once again found themselves in exile, this time in exile from that home culture. What they were really doing was returning to their roots. They had rediscovered in Jesus Christ the internal inheritance that had been given to them through God, the permanent culture in exile that they were to live in the world. Jesus, you see, ransomed us from mere human culture, not with earthly things, but with his holy and innocent blood and his bitter sufferings and death. He revealed God's eternal plan for us in Jesus Christ that stretched, as Peter says, from the foundation of the world to the very end in the last times. You and I have been born again, born from above, not to simply perish, but born again of imperishable seed that like God's promise, his word is eternal and can never fade away. That is our true culture in exile. The problem, of course, is that we as Christians 
as the new Israel grafted into the people of God can fall prey to the very same trap that our spiritual forefathers fell into. The Old Testament people of God. We too can end up clinging to perishable culture instead of what we have in Christ that is imperishable and that will last forever. I was elected to serve as one of our clergy delegates from our district to our synodical convention, which means being inundated with mailings from the synodical president and from other people. And in those mailings is an awful lot of hand wringing about the future of our church body. Oh my goodness, what is going to happen to the LCMS? We've closed three of our very precious and highly valued universities in the last few years. Selma, Alabama, Bronxville, New York, Portland, Oregon, and now Concordia, Texas has voted to separate itself from the LCMS. Now you as Quebecers know, separation is not an easy thing to do and neither is it particularly legal. And so it's becoming a real issue in our church. In our partner church, the Lutheran Church Canada, they only had one university, Concordia in Edmonton, And they have long left the church body and become simply another secular institution affiliated with the University of Alberta. Never mind the future of our church bodies. What about the future of the faith itself? We live in a province here where more than 50% of the population claims to not believe in any kind of higher power or God or gods or goddesses for that matter. There are more Muslims in Canada than there are Lutherans. Only 53% of Canadians claim to be Christian, and only 36%, well, 36% claim no religion at all. Less than a quarter of Canadians participate in any kind of regular religious activities. We could panic, worried that we are going to lose Canada for Jesus. That we must somehow win back this culture that we have, that we might remain Christian in the world. Or we could listen closely to what Peter is preaching to us this morning. That we, you and I, have always been a people in exile. From the call of Abraham to leave Iraq and go to a land that was never his. From the descent of Israel and their descendants into Egypt, a land that was not theirs. From the exile in Babylon to the persecutions under the Greeks and the Romans. The cultures of the earth in which we find ourselves have been, as Peter quotes from Isaiah, like grass. Their glory, like the flower of the grass. The grass withers the flower falls. Slovakia, from which our church originally sprung, didn't always exist. India or Persia, even China, didn't always exist the way they exist now, and they will not exist forever the way that they find themselves today. Canada, of course, is the same. Any energy we devote to supporting places like this, or even their cultures, we do only in a passing way to support the sharing of the eternal gospel, to announce to people the internal culture and inheritance that can be theirs in Christ. We trust not in princes, the psalmist says, 
And besides, we're all exiles anyway. Our eternal inheritance, hidden as it is in Christ, is real. It is as real as Jesus' resurrection from the dead, as his presence is among us when we gather around his word, when we gather to have people baptized into his family, when we gather for the breaking of the bread in which Jesus is revealed even to us here in this place. We are a culture in exile. And if we live out that vocation, we will find that we are fulfilling the vocation God has always had for us as his baptized daughters and sons. I really know of no other writing that illustrates this more clearly than an early church epistle written to a fellow by the name of Dionysus. And a portion of that epistle I want to read for you in conclusion this morning. Christians are not distinguished from the rest of humanity by country, language, or custom. For nowhere do they live in cities of their own, nor do they speak some unusual dialect, nor do they practice an eccentric way of life. The teaching of theirs has not been discovered by the thought and reflection of ingenious people, nor do they promote any human doctrine, as some do. But while they live in both Greek and barbarian cities, as each one's loss was cast, and follow the local customs in dress and food and other aspects of life, at the same time, they demonstrate the remarkable and admittedly unusual character of their own citizenship. They live in their own countries, but only as non-residents. They participate in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. Every foreign country is their fatherland, and every fatherland is to them foreign. They marry like everyone else and have children, but they do not expose their offspring. They share their food, but not their wives. They are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They live on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws. Indeed, in their private lives, they transcend the laws. They love everyone, and by everyone, they are persecuted. They are unknown, yet they are condemned. They are put to death, yet they are brought to life. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are in need of everything, yet they abound in everything. They are dishonored, yet they are glorified in their dishonor. They are slandered, and yet they are vindicated. They are cursed, yet they bless. They are insulted, yet they offer respect. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. And when they are punished, they rejoice as though brought to life. In a word, what the soul is to the body, Christians are to the world. The soul is dispersed through all the members of the body and Christians throughout all the cities of the world. The soul dwells in the body, but it is not of the body. Likewise, Christians dwell in the world, but are not of the world. The flesh hates the soul and wages war against it, even though it has suffered no wrong because it is hindered from indulging in its pleasures. So also the world hates the Christians 
even though it has suffered no wrong, because they set themselves against its pleasures. The soul loves the flesh that hates it, and its members, and Christians love those who hate them. The soul is locked up in the body, but it holds the body together. And though Christians are detained in the world as if in a prison, they, in fact, hold the world together. The soul, which is immortal, lives in a mortal dwelling. Similarly, Christians live as strangers and perishable things while awaiting the imperishable in heaven. Amen.